Hi everyone, my name is Vlad Lamaich. I'm a senior associate in the International Arbitration Group based in the firm's Perth office. Welcome to this episode in our Australian Arbitration Podcast mini-series. Hi, I'm Adrian Free. I'm an associate in the International Arbitration Group and I'm also based here in Perth. Today, Adrian and I will discuss the topic of damages in investor state disputes with a particular focus on investment disputes arising out of the energy and resources sectors. First, we'll briefly cover the legal principles of damages and compensation at international law before going into the principles relating to the valuation of assets and claims for damages. We'll then conclude by discussing a few of the practical issues that we see arise in investor state disputes. So with that overview, let's dive straight into it. Adrian, to kick things off, can you explain how we get to the stage of working out what damages can be claimed in an investment arbitration? Sure thing. So if you've missed our previous podcasts on investor state dispute settlement, to recap, investor state dispute settlement is a method of dispute resolution that allows foreign direct investors to bring claims against foreign host state governments, most often simply referred to as states in ISDS, violations of applicable bilateral investment treaties, free trade agreements, or other relevant international instruments. Investors can bring claims when, for example, a foreign state has not afforded fair and equitable treatment to an investor, or, for example, when a foreign state has either directly or indirectly expropriated the investor's assets. That's it. And what we commonly see in these disputes is that they typically involve, say, mining concessions or licenses being cancelled, revoked or not reviewed renewed rather, and this leads to the destruction, sometimes total, of the value of the investor's assets. So let's say you found yourself in that unfortunate situation and you bring a claim against the responsible foreign state. What happens then? Adrian, I'll pass on to you to give an overview of the legal principles underlying damages in international investment law. Thanks, Father. So under international law, foreign states must make reparations for internationally wrongful acts. In investor state disputes, reparation for wrongful acts will almost always take the form of monetary compensation. The Permanent Court of International Justice, in the now very famous case of Horjo factory case, held that reparation must, as far as possible, wipe out all the consequences of the legal act and re-establish the situation which would, in all probability, have existed if that act had not been committed. There are basically two types of damages that are ordinarily claimed in investment disputes. There are damages for an illegal act and compensation for an unlawful expropriation. Damages for an illegal act, for example, a breach of the fair and equitable treatment standard of a treaty, follow the principle that damages must wipe out all the consequences of an illegal act. That can be things like losses, costs or expenses incurred by the investor. It can also be the investor's lost profits, provided that the investment in question has a history of profitability or had reached a stage where it was more likely than not that profits would be generated in the future. Vlad, what about the principles relating to expropriation? The principles for damages for expropriation are a little bit different. It's important to remember that international law draws a distinction between lawful expropriation and unlawful expropriation. Basically, under investment treaties, it's entirely lawful for a foreign state to take or expropriate a foreign investor's investment. However, this expropriation must be for a public purpose, non-discriminatory, and accompanied by the payment of prompt, adequate, and effective compensation. 
So compensation for lawful expropriation is ordinarily the fair market value of the investment immediately before the expropriation becomes public knowledge. Unlawful expropriation, on the other hand, is when a foreign state takes an investment without complying with any one of the criteria that I just mentioned. And what we tend to see at Clifford Chance is that unlawful expropriation commonly arises when a licence or concession is revoked, cancelled, or not granted or renewed with the effect that it destroys the investor's assets. Now, normally, there's no difference between the standard of compensation for lawful expropriation under the relevant investment treaties and the standard of compensation for unlawful expropriation under customary international law. The standard for unlawful expropriation follows the principle in the Horshaw factory case that Adrian mentioned, being that reparations must wipe out all the consequences of the illegal act. Wiping out the consequences of the taking or total destruction of an investment is usually a monetary sum in the amount of the fair market value for that investment. However, the customary international law standard of damages for unlawful expropriation offers investors a little bit more flexibility in their valuations, such as flexibility on the date on which fair market value is assessed. Further, by far the most frequent method in assessing the fair market value of an expropriated investment is what's called the discounted cash flow method or the DCF method. So Adrian's going to give us a quick overview of what we mean when we say fair market value and discounted cash flow. Mm. Well, so the fair market value is ordinarily defined as the price in cash at which property would change hands between a hypothetical willing buyer and a hypothetical willing and able seller, acting at arm's length in an open market, not under any compulsion to buy or sell, when both have reasonable knowledge of the relevant facts. If an investment operates as a going concern, such as an operating mine or other producing asset, the usual valuation method is to value the investment using an income-based approach. Further, the most common method used is the discounted cash flow method or DCF method. However, it should be noted an investment need not necessarily be a going concern for the DSCF method to be applicable. The DCF method determines the net present value of future cash flows that are expected to be generated by the investment. This is then discounted by a percentage that is commensurate with the risk associated with receiving those cash flows. That's right. So let's take the example of a producing mine. The DCF model starts with technical inputs like the amount of resources and reserves that exist within that mine. The DCF then works out what would be the likely revenue realised from the processing and sale of those resources. The DCF model then incorporates into the calculation various economic inputs such as commodity prices, royalty rates, currency exchange rates, inflation, taxes and working capital, and so on. The discount rate that Adrian mentioned is then applied and the DCF model turns out a valuation. Now, we're just scratching the surface here, and it would be beyond the scope of this podcast to go into great detail about how DCF valuation is undertaken. The calculation of monetary damages, not just for expropriation, but also for other illegal acts by foreign states, is a very complex affair. And as with the example I've just given, both technical experts and valuation experts can be required to conduct the analysis. Now, let's say you find yourself either acting on an investment dispute or participating in one as an investor. 
Now, Adrian's going to tell us about some of the practical things to keep in mind, either when dealing with the experts or in running the case. Yeah, for sure. So given the complexity and also the importance of valuation of the investment in these cases, it's essential that the right experts are chosen as they can have a significant impact on the prospects of success on the quantum aspects of a case. There are a number of very reputable accounting and valuation firms that can take on these matters and mandates. Perhaps above all, it's important to note that valuation experts, as all independent experts, owe their duties to the arbitral tribunal and not to the individual parties involved in the dispute. Since they are not champions for a client, they probably will not agree with overly rosy expectations about the fair market value of an investment. This means clients and lawyers alike need to be prepared to have an honest conversation about managing expectations around damages. This can be a difficult exercise in some cases. It is of course possible to instruct experts to make some fairly aggressive assumptions concerning valuations, but it's important to remember that doing so raises the risk that your expert will suffer in cross-examination at the hands of a skillful opponent. Yeah, that's right, Adrian. And it's also important to remember that preparing your case on damages also requires a lot of organisation. Valuations in investment arbitrations are complex, and as we mentioned before, they can often involve more than one expert whose work will feed into the valuation expert's work. It's important to bear in mind that the valuation of damages in investment disputes can be significantly costly exercises as a result. Yeah, that's right. So as, as with any expert work, it's also really important to maintain effective methods of collecting and transmitting documents to experts. That means that clients need to maintain effective document storage systems that allow easy collection and retrieval of documents. Valuations typically require an enormous amount of financial and accounting documentation. It's essential to avoid the risks that the valuation of an investment isn't negatively impacted because of a lack of substantiating documentation. So that's all the time we have for today, and it brings us to the end of this episode. We hope you enjoyed this ISDS podcast in the Clifford Chance Arbitration Week series. Please stay on the lookout for future podcasts and other content. You've been listening to the Clifford Chance podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast by visiting cliffordchance.com and follow us on LinkedIn. The content of this podcast does not constitute legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. Specific legal advice about your specific circumstances should always be sought separately before taking any action.